Welcome back again, everyone. It's Dina Calmetta here and Susan Davis with Jesus 24-7. And today we're going to continue in the series, The Book of Daniel for Beginners, and we are on chapter 5. And this is a very interesting chapter. Susan, I'm so excited to hear more about it. Oh, well, great. I'm excited, too. I mean, Daniel is a very fascinating book, and it's looking in the past to look forward to the future. Isn't that interesting? God's Word does that. He's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, we can know our future by looking into ancient history through the book of Daniel. And so today we're going to take a look at this amazing character, Daniel. And we're on chapter 5. Now, we've already done chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. And so we highly recommend that you go back and review those chapters, and you'll get more detail about where we are in this story. But I'll give you a little brief update. Daniel, who is a Hebrew, is in the city of Babylon. And Babylon is the evil city, great enemy of the Israelites. Now, we find him and the Israelites in Babylon because the kings of Israel were so evil and out of God's will that they were cursed and God allowed their worst enemy to come in and ravage the area and remove the people. Now he left some behind, but mostly he took quite a few of them and some of the best people into Babylon under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. But now we see Daniel shows up with his companions at a point when they're teenagers, they're young. And this book of Daniel goes all through the whole life of Daniel. And we see at this point that he survived Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon. And we move forward to find him with Belshazzar, who is the king of this time frame. He is actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar at this point. So Daniel had some staying power, right, to hang in there this long? He certainly did. He went through quite a few kings. Right. He most certainly would have. And at least six is my count. Mm -hmm. But let's take a look as we begin. And when we do the study, we do a line by line so we can really dig our heels in and understand about this. So let's get started. Well, we're right here in Babylon and we start with verse one. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. 
They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Okay, so what's going on right now is back when Nebuchadnezzar went into Jerusalem, ravaged it, took all the all the objects that were in the temple at the time that they used to worship, he removed them all and took them over to Babylon. And so at this point, he's probably stored them away and preserve them, but this Belshazzar, he's a different kind of person. He's kind of a playboy, okay? Uh, That's the impression you get, and he's decided to have a party, and we'll see why he's having this party. He's having a wild party with the people around him in the kingdom, and it's kind of, Dina, it's kind of, well, the cat's away, the mice will play Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And what we've got is his father is out on a military campaign. (laughs) And just like rowdy teenagers, when mom and dad are gone, they decide to host a party. But this one is a big party because we're talking about the whole palace of Babylon. So this would have been quite the party. Okay, so we're going to pick it up at verse 5. It says here, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. The king cried out, to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing, show me the interpretation thereof, shall be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Now, if you notice here, it's talking about the reward that would be given to someone who can interpret this writing on the wall. Now, here's the thing. The person that can do this, he says, would be the third ruler. So you see, he's the second in command, Belshazzar, and is his father is the main guy at this point. He's out on a military campaign, supposedly, and is not available. So while he's gone, his son has gone wild, right? Mm-hmm. And hosting this incredible party. But the person missing is the father, who is Nabonidus, who is the ruler. And then Belshazzar would be second. And then the winner of this prize would be the third ruler. That's why they say the third ruler. Okay, so let's go forward. We're in the same chapter, and we're at verse 10. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and of his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of the father light and understanding and wisdom, like wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, thy king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. 
for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Okay, well, I think it's kind of interesting here at this point that we see even the mother queen here recalling that his original name is Daniel. She acknowledges that the king had named him Belshazzar. Isn't that interesting that she actually acknowledges his original name? Well, because Daniel was a very remarkable man. And so, I think so. Yeah, and hard to forget. Hard to forget because he had a unique gift in those days. I really think that's indicative of who he is to, you know, this group of people. Like, she's the queen, and she happens to recall that his name had been changed and what his actual name is. I think that's, I think that's kind of a standout that, you know, speaks a lot about his identity. He's not just some guy lurking around the halls of Babylon, right? He's mm-hmm. an actual player, so to speak. Well, and so, he had a very high position with King Nebuchadnezzar. He put him in yeah, a high position. Right, right. So she's educating her grandson at this point about this this man, Daniel. Okay, let's take a look at 13. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewelry? And 14 goes on, I have even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet. And have a chain of gold about thy neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So he wants to give him top flight, you know, responsibility. He is going to be third in charge if he can pull this off. That's that's a big deal. We're talking about a huge kingdom, okay? (laughs) Well, you know, he's that remarkable. And if he could do that, because, you know, there was nobody there to interpret that. Kind of like Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Exactly. We're, it's exact same thing. Okay, let's take a look. We're in 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he set up. Whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, his mind hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts. And his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen. 
and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. Now, at this point, we see, you know, him describing what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in this prior chapter, and we discuss that. If you can go back and take a look at that video, we talk about what happens to Nebuchadnezzar and that he was struck down with a mental condition that is real, that people in modern times have the same have had the same occurrence. So we can know that what the Bible says here is true. And what happened in Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he became as a beast crawling on all fours eating grass, this is an actual mental condition. But, I mean, if you want to be more specific about it, you know, I believe he had demons tormenting him, okay? Because mental illness tends to go hand-in-hand with demonic control. Would you not agree, Dina? Yes. Well, in Jesus and the Bible, you know, there were people that had issues that he delivered them. Right. I think of the one scripture in the Bible where the father comes to the Lord and wants his son delivered. And he says that, you know, he is thrown in the water and he's thrown in the fire. Well, he needs to be delivered from demons because the demons are taking him in in places the father said he doesn't want to go like he doesn't want to go in the water and drown himself and he doesn't want to go in the fire and burn himself but this is what the demons are doing to him and people think this stuff doesn't go on today well i'm here to tell you it does go on and it is going on and you know a lot of it is inspired through drug use and alcohol and things of that nature but anyway we'll go forward let's take a look at 22 and thou his son o belshazzar has not humbled thine heart though thou Thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified then was the part of the hand sent from him and this writing was written okay so daniel's really you know giving quite a speech to this king remember the last time he had a run-in with nebuchadnezzar over something really similar he was brought in to interpret a dream Mm -hmm. at that moment he has an audience (laughs) with the king he's got his attention he can pretty much say what he thinks Or, you know, what God would have him say. And that's pretty much the same thing that's going on here. He is stopped this great party. Like, you have to understand, these were a bunch of revelers and rowdies that were whooping it up, right? And all of a sudden, everything's quiet, and Daniel's giving his speech to this king. Can you just imagine? Maybe you could hear a pin drop in the background. I was just going to, I was just thinking that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, let's go forward. We're going to get to the part where you've heard the saying, you know, you can see the handwriting on the wall. (laughs) We're about to talk about that and where that came from. So let's take a look. Verse 25. And this is the writing that was written. Mina, Mina, Tekel, Upharsen. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mina, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel. Thou art weighed in the balance, and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. 
Now, this is very interesting. Right here, Daniel is interpreting the exact words that are on the wall. And he's talking about the word Mina. He's saying God has numbered the kingdom and finished it. And Tekel is, he's saying it's weighed in the balance and he's found wanting. So basically, he's dropped the ball. He's, you know, at this point, this king. Now, it's interesting the word upharsen, as we see in verse 25, changes here to Perez. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interesting, but it's real close to Persians. Isn't that interesting? When he's talking about the kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So I think that's really interesting that the word changes there in the scripture. And it's almost lining up with the word Persians. Mm-hmm. Well, and the king will be divided. It's taken from him and will be divided uh, among the two kingdoms of the Medes and the Persians. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Verse 29 goes on to say, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius, the Median, took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old. Old. So he was about 62 years old at the time. Darius, the mm-hmm. king mm-hmm. of the Medes. And so I want to just kind of mention something about these two kingdoms. Okay, we're talking about the Medes and the Persians. Well, they actually united in, I think it was in 550 BC. So 550 years before Christ comes to the earth. We see the Medes and the Persians getting together and uniting in conquests. Now, it wasn't, Dina, until 539 B.C. that they decide to go after Babylon. So you see there's about an 11-year space of time and that they put their heads together after they united, that they wanted to go after and conquer this whole area. Okay, we find out that Darius is a 62-year-old man and he's over the Medes. The other conqueror of the Persians is Cyrus. That's his name. And he was Cyrus the Great of Persia. And so these two guys, you know, united and then they decided to go after the the biggest, you know, kingdom that existed during that time. Now, we in our last episode, for anybody who uh, is just joining us, please go back to chapter four, because we show a lot of the architecture, right, of the time, Dina? Yes, we do. And one of the things that we showed is the walls of Babylon, which was a 10-mile wall, okay? And we talked about it being something that they used copper, and they created kind of a blue color on the walls, which there is a portion of this in the museum in Berlin. You can take a look at this, and I'll ask Dina to put the model up of the double gates. These gates were huge. You can see how they made gates during that period of time. You can see the actual people standing next to the gates are so tiny compared to the height of these gates. Now, if you can imagine this, 
Dina, these gates were huge and they were, they encompassed, like I said, a 10 mile area. So here's the thing that's interesting about this. Those gates seemed impenetrable. And here's another thing. There was a river surrounding them and that was the Euphrates. So the Euphrates was extra security around these massive gates that were just, they were huge. So they were pretty much impenetrable. So if somebody, they, they'd have to swim up to the gate and somehow try to get up the gate and it was seemed impossible. Now here's what happened. I want to give a little detail. We talked about Marduk and that is a god that is, you know, I would consider to be Satan. Because when they use animals to represent Marduk, they use symbols of Satan, which is like the bull and the dragon. Mm -hmm. And so Babylon was into Marduk worship. But they kind of fell out of favor with the people because Belshazzar's father was downplaying Marduk in favor of a moon god. And so there was division. There was starting to be division because of the kind of gods they were worshiping and choosing to worship. Actually, the Persia military became quite huge. In fact, they were developing chariots with blades on them, on the wheels, if you can imagine that. Oh, boy. And so, yeah, they were becoming quite the force. And here's something really fascinating I want to talk about. Do you know that in 1879, archaeologists found a barrel-shaped piece of clay with Babylonian cuneiform on it and an inscription that talks about how the Persian king entered Babylon in their takeover. And the words right on it says the Persian king entered Babylon in peace amidst joy and jubilation. So they pretty much they just came in and took over. Okay. But he, they didn't do it without a plot and plan. And here's the problem with Babylon. Babylon became cocky. Okay. They became full of themselves. They thought nobody could penetrate those walls, especially with the Euphrates River around it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. And so what happened was Babylon's mistake was they got a little too sure of themselves and they didn't take any precautions. In fact, while Belshazzar, King Belshazzar's father's, you know, way, he's partying thinking all is well, when in fact, that's exactly when the Persians and the Medes got together and struck. And what they did was they uh, went upstream from down from Babylon, and they dammed the Euphrates. They created a dam, and they blocked the water. And they blocked it until they got it to completely stop, okay? And so when the water dried up, in the Euphrates, then they could just walk right up to the wall. And what they did then was they dug underneath the wall, like a tunnel, they tunneled under, and they were able to tunnel all the way into the other side. And they walked right in, and that's when they just they just took over. And if a good bit of the kingdom was in a state of partying, they were easy pickings, okay? And um, so that's what happened. They moved in, they took over, and they did it pretty much, you know, without a fight. And the rest is history, okay? And 
I often think about this. I think this is fascinating because don't we often read about castles in England and over in Europe that have moats around them, Mm -hmm. you know, around their great walls? And I kind of think maybe some of that concept might have even come from the strategy of Babylon at that time. And I think that's really interesting. And so right here in verse 30, we see it says, you know, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldean slain. And 31 goes on to say, and Darius the Median took the kingdom being about three score and two years old. And uh, so we mentioned that he was 62 at the time. But I think it's very interesting that in history, Dina, we can know exactly when this story took place because we know when this whole thing happened and it was exact moment that this kingdom was taken over was exactly when Daniel was there talking to Belshazzar. Isn't that interesting? That is just fascinating. I think it's fascinating, too. I think it's fascinating because, like I said before, we know exactly when the Medes and the Persians came together. And therefore, we also know that 11 years later, you know, they actually took Babylon and not really, you know, they did it creatively. They didn't have to do it by much force. Then, of course, Belshazzar was killed. But we know that the Medes and Persians united in 550 bc and they took babylon in 539 bc and that pinpoints exactly when daniel was making his speech was 539 bc and so we can know this for a fact exactly what point in time this particular chapter took place and that i think is pretty awesome and that would have been 539 years before jesus shows up on the scene there you go it's just an amazing chapter among many others in this amazing book and oh i want to just say something you know this is really interesting you know god puts these words on the wall he's like letting belshazzar know that uh he's a goner you know he's crossed god and he's in trouble and it pretty much spooks out everybody that sees a disembodied hand writing on the wall right dina yes I mean, I've never, obviously, I have never seen that in the flesh, but I dreamt it. Of a oh, hand. really? Yes, I had a dream of a hand writing a scripture on the wall. And it was a scripture in Colossians that to uh, look up and not, you know, down here on earth. It, you know, was a message for me, a personal message. And so. Wow. Yeah, but I saw a hand. I saw a hand write that scripture. Wow. Yeah. That, that is awesome. And back in those days, like now, you know, we have special effects and things like that. You know, you will wonder, you know, where is this hand coming from? They didn't have that in those days. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. to have a hand appear out of nowhere, you know, and it must have been very, very, very frightening. God does that. He did that with Moses with the Ten Commandments. He wrote it with his own finger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Exactly so. And remember in chapter two, we talked about the great statue that God in the dream that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. Yes. And the head was gold and that represented Babylon. And then next we see the arms and the chest area were silver. And that's exactly what we're talking about in this chapter is the Medes and the Persians. 
So the, the two arms represent the Medes and the Persian, and the silver represented their kingdom. And we mentioned that they were the first to employ coinage, silver coins, for taxation purposes. Mm-hmm. And that's where God would have, you know, uh, used the silver. And Cyrus, who was the king of Persia, he died 10 years later after this takeover. So it, they took over Babylon in 539. Cyrus dies in 529 BC. And Persia actually lasts to 330 BC. So from 539 BC to 330 was the time frame of the Persian kingdom. Then what happens next is they fell to Alexander the Great of Greece, the Greeks. And so that's the next part of the body we see is the bronze, you know, which is the stomach area, right? Mm-hmm. and the brass and the bronze and that's alexander the great which is representing the greek culture and so we can get a feel so these persians and medes they took over 539 bc and were in charge until 330 bc and that's when we see greece come in and that's the brass part of the statue so we're just trying to give people you know a real understanding of what exactly is going on here in this book right and i hope that helps people understand a little bit more you've got to really understand kind of the times and the histories to really understand the scripture of of these kinds of books and honestly i have to tell you when i hear about disembodied hands writing on the wall uh (laughs) you know so much of the bible is supernatural and and it just strikes me as funny, you know, because I know so many Christians just cannot cannot go along with the concept of the supernatural. And I'm like, why are you reading this book then, you know? Because the whole book is supernatural, right? Well, it's, it's alive. It's a great... Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, Dina, I have to say that next time we will be covering Chapter 6, and it's going to be probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible is uh, Daniel's encounter in the den of lions and so everybody should come back for that because if there ever was a bible story that everybody thinks of you know from sunday school or what have you it's that one right yeah that's a fascinating story and it just shows how merciful how loving protective our god is and that nothing is impossible for him and he has retribution too right right But with that said, Susan, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and talking about this spectacular book and giving us interpretation via the Holy Spirit. We so appreciate you. Thank you to all the listeners that have tuned in that continue to come back. We love you guys. Please do leave your comments below this video. Also, you'll be able to find this on our uh, YouTube channel on mine and Susan's YouTube And also on our Rumble channels, you'll find it in our playlists, The Book of Daniel for Beginners, and also in our Jesus 24-7 playlist. It's also listed on our Jesus 24-7 show Facebook page, and also on podcast. And I encourage you guys to go over to Anchor, go over to Spotify or Google or Apple, and listen to us there. If you're busy, you don't have a chance to, you know, watch it. You can always listen to it. You can listen to it on your way to work, on your way home. You know, that was something that I used to do 
when I worked in an office, you know, when I, uh, you know, was serving God, but I had a day, I had also another job that was my day job. And I would, you know, plug in the Bible on my way to work or on my way home. And that was my private time with God. And so you can do that with these teachings, with, you know, all of our teachings and the news, you know, you can listen to it on podcast. But I do encourage you to also, when you have a chance to watch it, because then you're going to be able to see the scriptures on the screen and the images and the videos as well. Also, please do share these videos so that other people can uh, have an opportunity to watch it and to learn. And, you know, the book of Daniel starts off pretty easy to understand, but then it gets a little bit more difficult. It's kind of like uh, the book of Revelation. And so that's why it's for beginners. You know, Susan goes, you know, uh, verse by verse and explains it. So if you know somebody who's interested in, you know, Bible prophecy or the Bible in general, share this with them, share it on your Facebook, you know, and it also helps us with these algorithms because we're so censored here on YouTube. So sharing it helps us and we thank you for that. So if you're looking for a way to help us in the ministry, that is the way to share our videos. Right, Susan? Oh, exactly right. Yes. We love it when you share our videos because we don't have time to do it. Yeah, yeah. So thank you, you guys. And thank you, Susan, again. And is there anything, Susan, that I'm leaving out or something you'd like to add? No, no, just uh, we always try to point people to the Revelation for Beginners series. Um, I really hope people go over there because, hey, that's the book for today. It really is. And uh, no reason you can't read and understand it. And I know a lot of people are afraid of it. And that's why we did it. We did it with you in mind. And so please check that out. Alrighty. Well, with all of that said, thank you so much for tuning into the show and for watching and have a wonderful weekend, you guys. God bless.